0: This is John Jackson Miller, and you're listening to the Star Wars Canon Podcast. May the Force be with you. There are stories about what happened. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Canon Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Miller, and I'm so glad that you've decided to join me this week yet again to talk about our favorite thing in the world, Star Wars. Uh, I've got to tell you, I've got a hell of a show lined up for you guys this week. Uh, I'm going to be talking about a subject a lot of people have been asking me about for quite a while. I'm going to be ranking the canon novels from worst to first. Now, I, I did do a video of this about a year ago, but it does need some updating. We've had several novels come out since then, and a lot of people have been asking for an updated version of it. So that's what we're going to be doing this episode. But before I get into all of that, I wanted to let you guys and gals know that the Star Wars Canon Podcast is now available, not only here on YouTube, but also on Anchor.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, and I think Stitcher was the last one uh, so far. I, I put out an announcement last week saying that the podcast will no longer be on YouTube. That was an error on my part. Uh, I put up a status on the Facebook page for the Star Wars Canon podcast shortly after I made that announcement, because I got a lot of feedback from you guys, letting me know that this is where you guys listen to the podcast most of the time. So, uh, I put up a status letting everybody know, hey, look, this is still trial and error sometimes on my part, and sometimes things work, sometimes they don't, and that was obviously an error on my part. So, I'm going to keep putting the podcast right here on the YouTube channel for everybody uh, who watches it here, but... If you do decide you want an audio-only version of this, you can go over to anchor.fm uh, or you can download the Anchor app and all of the links to all the other apps that it's available on are right there. So definitely go check that out. Uh, so without further ado, before we get into the rank uh, the novel rankings though, I wanted to talk about a couple of news stories that dropped and uh, uh, not a whole lot, just a couple couple few stories, a couple of little things that I uh, kind of wanted to give my thoughts on uh, before we get into the meat and potatoes of this uh, podcast so uh, uh, late last month I think it was two about two and a half weeks ago Lucasfilm decided to release their first audio only exclusive book called uh, Duku, Dooku Jedi Lost and it was kind of a radio drama I downloaded it I haven't listened to it yet I was going to uh, and I, I wanted to finish up Master and Apprentice first. But now I'm glad I didn't listen to it. And I, and you guys can go back and look at the Facebook page for the Star Wars Canon Podcast. I made this prediction two weeks ago, three weeks ago, that eventually they would release this thing in a hardback version you could put on your shelf. And the biggest problem I had with this audio-exclusive thing was that I knew that they were going to end up doing that, and I was going to have to buy the same product twice, just in two different mediums. And it looks like that they are releasing this in a hardback form in October. Uh, I think it's up for pre-order in the UK right now uh, on Amazon. So uh, my, my thoughts on this, I haven't listened to the to the Dooku uh, Jedi Lost yet, but I've heard great things about it so far. But I, I think now I'm going to hold off on it. I'm not going to listen to it yet. I think I'm going to wait until I can get a hardback version of it. And I want to, for the first time, listen to the audio version of it while reading the book. I'm more of a, I'd rather have the, the the physical copy in my hand. Right? I'd rather have the actual book in my hand and read it than to just sit and listen to it. I'm not a big audiobook fan, but some of the previews I've listened to, uh, and I think I listened to like the first couple minutes of the an excerpt from the book uh, that I found online, and and they've got the music, they've got the sound effects, the voice acting could for Dooku is kind of weird. It's not the same guy that voices him for Clone Wars. I don't know why they wouldn't have done that, but. Uh, I think I'm gonna wait and listen to this audiobook with the book in my hand. I'm gonna try that for the first time. And if that is an experience that I really, really like, I might do that from now on. Get the audiobook and the hardback and sit down and and, and do both. Coming from the same guy that was just bitching and complaining that he had to buy the same thing twi- twice, right? But uh yeah, they are gonna be releasing this uh, in a hardback form. Now, the the audio version of it is like six hours I think it's six hours and 21 minutes is what I had it at which means you could probably if you're a fast reader you could read it in probably six hours so I'm going to uh, sit down and, and and do this in October uh, hopefully before the baby gets here fingers crossed uh, and uh, I'm going to see if I can try this and I'll let you guys know then my thoughts on the story that's going to be a review a, I'm sorry a review uh, that's going to be a quite a bit later than it should be, but uh, I'm, I'm going to try it that way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a shot. So uh, the big news this week, though, that I know everybody is talking about, uh, a couple weeks ago, we found out uh, the next Star Wars films are going to be uh, released in 2022, 2024, 2026. And those are the next Star Wars films coming after episode nine. Immediately, everybody started trying to figure out, oh, is it Ryan Johnson's trilogy? Is it Benny and Weiss's trilogy? Uh, and you know, and then there were arguments online starting about how, oh, if this is Benioff and Weiss's trilogy, then Ryan Johnson's trilogy isn't happening anymore. Even though the week before they said the Ryan Johnson trilogy would be released in tandem with Benioff and Weiss's trilogy, rumors started flying like crazy. Uh, and I remember on last week's episode, I uh, I I thought and I and I predicted that this was going to be a Benioff and Weiss trilogy, and it turns out that that is the case. This is going to be the next uh, trilogy we get started and it won't be until 2022 uh no word on ryan johnson's trilogy yet it's still happening whether you love ryan johnson or not love it or hate it he's still getting a trilogy all right and and, you know i I saw somebody online talking about how uh how how did they say it oh i don't want to have to go sit through a star wars movie that's butchered by ryan johnson then don't be then then be an adult and don't go that's all you got to do so um but There's something else, too, that that, it's a caveat that comes along with this subject, and I hate talking about this stuff. Benioff and Weiss are now becoming the new Ryan Johnson. And, And what I mean by that, last week I said I thought it was funny how before episode eight ever came out, that Ryan Johnson was being heralded as oh my god I can't wait to see what he does with Star Wars this is going to be an amazing Star Wars movie he's such a great director this is going to be awesome and then he delivers The Last Jedi that a lot of people didn't like and now he's the scum of the directing universe right Benioff and Weiss are now finding themselves in kind of the same boat and they haven't even started their Star Wars project yet a lot of people are upset with the last season of Game of Thrones so I, I don't even know where this is going to end up going. It's it's, no matter what, people are going to bitch and moan about anything, you know. And it's, Lucasfilm went out and got some of the greatest directors they could think of, Benioff and Weiss, right? Everybody loved Game of Thrones. Three weeks ago, everybody loved Game of Thrones. And now, all of a sudden. They're the scum of the directing earth. They're ruining Game of Thrones. I can't figure it out. No matter, it's like Lucasfilm can't win for losing. You know, damned if they do, damned if they don't. But anyway, I digress. They they did come out and announce. uh, I think it was Bob Iger actually during a conference call came out and said that uh, the next films were going to be the uh, Benioff and Weiss trilogy, which I'm I'm still convinced it's Old Republic. I'm I'm convinced at this point. what else would it be? I'm 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 so cocksure that this is going to be Old Republic. I, I'll, I'll give up my paycheck. I don't care. If I'm wrong, I will give you my paycheck. First person to claim it gets it. If this is not Old Republic, um, but also during that conference call, we got another little tidbit of information that there is a third live-action Star Wars series coming. No mention of what it was, but that there was another one coming in development, and. Uh, there's been a lot of speculation that that could be Obi-Wan. And I'm hoping it is. I'm hoping to God that this is an Obi-Wan trilogy, uh, not trilogy, a uh, series. I said last in last week's episode, that's something that I think it needs a series to really break it down. To really delve in. Because think about what Obi-Wan went through on Tatooine. He was essentially stranded in exile, self-imposed exile, on a desert planet, trying to deal with you know, Jabba's mercenaries and thugs coming around all the time, trying to deal with not being a Jedi anymore, trying to hide, trying to watch over Luke at the same time. All this stuff. The the Obi-Wan we got in A New Hope and the Obi-Wan from Revenge of the Sith are two completely different Obi-Wans, which requires character development. What got us from Ewan McGregor to Alec Guinness? What got us to those points, right? Granted, there's certain things between the two that are the same, certain mannerisms and, and, and stuff like that, but there's that's obviously the obi-wan we've seen a new hope is a very broken obi-wan and i know he's broken at the end of revenge of the sith but not to that degree you know finding out that anakin is still alive that vader is still alive think about it at the end of revenge of the sith obi-wan thought vader died obi-wan seriously thought he was dead i want to see him find out that vader is still alive and i don't want to see it in a film i want to see it in a series really break down do it do a serious character study on obi-wan that's what needs to be done so i'm hoping to god that's what it is it could be anything at this point uh but i'm 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 not as cocksure on this one as i am benioff and weiss but i'm pretty cocksure that there that, that but, but i'm pretty cocksure benioff and weiss are doing old republic but i'm not entirely positive about this series. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm hoping, though. So uh, let me know, guys. Whatever platform you're listening to the podcast on or whatever you're watching it on, let me know in the comments section. I'd like to hear you guys' thoughts on that. What do you think that Star Wars series could be? What are you hoping for? Uh, are you with me? Do you think maybe Obi-Wan? Fingers crossed, right? Uh, so that's going to pretty much do it for the news this week. So let's get into this topic that uh, a lot of people have been asking about. Uh, novel Rankings. There are, I didn't actually count them, I should have counted, but it, it doesn't matter at this point. There's so many novels at this point, there's there's no numbering them. I think the last time I did a video there were 34 novels, I think what it was, and I think we've added 5 or 6, I think. We might be up to 40 at this point. Anyway, so let's get on with this show, and uh, let's just start it right at the bottom bottom of the list anybody who's watched for any amount of time and i say this every time i do one of these videos you already know what the last one is the worst star wars canon novel in my opinion before i get going on this i want to reiterate this is just my opinion all right i'm not saying that these books are trash okay this first one i'm going to say is trash but everything else is subjective. If you I mean you if you guys like them, awesome you like them. But this is just my opinion, all right? Don't lynch me. And 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 if you disagree with me, let me know. I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on some of this. I want to hear y'all's rankings too, alright? But if, if you agree with me, great. If not, tell me why you disagree with me. I wanna I wanna hear your guys' opinions on this stuff. So let's get this kicked off, my god. Uh the first one on my list, the absolute- and I'm going from worst to first, remember that. The worst canon novel in my opinion and anybody who has watched for a long amount of time you can say it with me three two one heir to the jedi by kevin hearn this book man what in the fuck i'm sorry this i'm i'm one of these people right that everything is subjective if you like it awesome if not you know that's fine too but this book man not to get vulgar, and I say this every episode, too, because this is the only way I can describe how bad this book is, in my opinion. This book, I wouldn't use it as toilet tissue. It is that bad. Uh, Heir to the Jedi, for those of you that don't know at this point, uh, it was, I think, the third canon novel released in the new canon. And it wasn't even meant to be canon in the first place. Heir to the Jedi was grandfathered in. It was already in the process of being published when the slate, wipe ha- well, the slate Wipe happened. And I guess in the EU, that and I don't remember what the names of the books were, but there was a Han book, a Leia book, and then this Luke book, Heir to the Jedi. And the Han and Leia books came out first, and then the Luke book got slipped under the radar under the new canon. This thing is bad. And there's a reason... Look, I've never read any of the, any of the rest of uh, Kevin Hearn's stuff. I, I, I haven't. I haven't read any of it. I don't know how good of an author he is, but I'm guessing there's a reason... That he hasn't written another Star Wars book, especially considering that he wrote one that far back, right? It was number three. This thing, this this book takes place. uh, I think it's like six months after A New Hope. It's before the comic series picks up Star Wars. Before the the star the Star Wars uh, comic series before it actually picks up, this book takes place. And Luke is Luke is dealing with the death of Obi Wan. Still, he's trying to figure out who's going to teach him to be a Jedi. Everything, you know, all this all this other stuff's going through his mind. One of the things that's unique about this book, and this isn't necessarily the bad thing about this book. I wouldn't mind reading a book in this format if it was done right. This book is told in first-person point of view. So Luke is the one telling the story. Instead of saying, Luke ran down the hall with his lightsaber, it says, I ran down the hall with my lightsaber, blah, blah, blah. Normally, that wouldn't be a big deal. I wouldn't mind seeing something like that, you know, especially we'll talk about Aftermath here in a little bit. It was written present tense, right? Like you're actually experiencing it for the as you read it. I love stuff like that. You switch it up. Not everything has to be past tense. This was first person, Uh, but it didn't feel like Luke Skywalker talking. It didn't sound like Luke Skywalker talking. Some of the dialogue was just wonky and I've never heard Luke use the word. I, I got there via the sewer system. Who says that, if, other than droids? Who says that? Nobody says Via. I've never heard Luke say Via. This book is is really, really, it's something, because there's, I think Leia sends him on, his main overarching mission is trying to find a new base for the Rebellion, after the Yavin thing. And he goes on like two or three missions with this female pilot that he's trying to get laid by the whole time, and Leia's getting jealous Uh, at one point he, and and look, this is, you can't make this up. This is, you don't believe me. Ask some other people who've read this book. This is serious. This seriously happens in the book. Luke walks in on aliens, pleasuring themselves. Uh, What? Uh, it's, it's, it's just, Why? you know, and, and really the only cool thing that happens in this book, and I say this every time too, this is everything I say about Heir to the Jedi is pretty much copy and paste at this point because there's nothing else to say but the coolest thing about this book is that he ends up getting to the, I think it's this tomb of a Jedi He he's talking to this woman whose father, or I think father was a Jedi and uh, she tells him you can desecrate that grave and take his lightsaber I don't care So Luke takes his lightsaber, takes this ancient lightsaber, and he's fiddling with it, taking it apart, learning how to build a lightsaber. That was pretty much the only cool part about it. Everything else in this book is just, why, what in the hell was Kevin Hearn thinking writing this book? What the hell was Kevin Hearn thinking? Um, So, look, and I'm not going to tell you guys not to read this book. I'm not going to tell you that. You guys can go pick it up. And read it. But it's it's bad enough in my opinion. I don't want it on the shelf. And if it's been the bottom of my list since 2015 when it came out, that's saying something. There hasn't been anything that has dethroned this thing from the worst yet. There's been a couple here. We're going to talk about them here in just a few minutes. There's a couple here that have come out recently that were close to dethroning but didn't quite do it. So if you guys want to go check out Air to the Jedi, that's on you. I'm not going to tell you not to. Uh, and, and who knows? You guys might like it. You guys might decide, Well, let's just see how bad this really is. You might read through it and be like, "This is great. This is my favorite novel." If that's you if that's the case, great. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take that from you. But in my opinion, this thing is abysmal. And and I honestly, if I was in charge of the story group, this thing would be stricken from canon. I'm not even playing, man. This thing is really. I, I've been so tempted not to put it on my canon shelf. But I know my OCD is going to end up kicking in. I'm going to have to put it back. So, Heir uh, to the Jedi. That's that's the very bottom of my list. That's, that's it. Cut and dry. That's it. Uh, the next worst one on my list, moving on up uh, to the front, or to the, I'm sorry, to the best, to the top of the list, is a novel that came out here pretty recently, actually, uh, within the last year, called Last Shot by Daniel Jose Older. Last Shot is a Han and Lando book. It came out around the same time as all the novels and everything around the solo a Star Wars story era, with the, you know those novels coming out. Came out about that time. Uh, about a uh, was it about a year ago? Yeah, it was about a year ago. And uh, like I said, it's a Han and Lando novel. Normally that would be great, and there's a couple things about this book that that stood out to me, and 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 whatnot. The biggest thing about this book is. It switches time periods. It time jumps between three different times without warning. And, it it, it, okay, it switches between uh, Lando before the events of Solo. It switches to Han after the events of Solo. And then it switches to Han and Lando after Return of the Jedi. It keeps switching between these. And then once in a while you get a chapter about the villain thrown in. Which we'll get to the villain in a minute. But holy crap. Uh, But this book... It just it randomly jumped around, and it got to the point where when I'd start a new chapter, I'd be like, "Okay, we're doing this now." I had to go back to the end of the last chapter from that time frame and reread the last page or two just to remember what had happened to go into this section. That was one of the things that just didn't do it for the uh, for me for this book. And time jumps, if they're done, they if they're done correctly, they're great. But it was just too over the top. Some of these chapters, it would switch back to a time period for a page and a half. And then switch back to the same time period you just left. It would have been a lot better had they written this book in three parts. And it would have been Lando, Han. Han and Lando. Would have made a hell of a lot more sense that way. But this is what we got. Now the villain of this story. This is a great villain. Before before I get too much further. Like I said the bulk of this book takes place after Return of the Jedi. Uh, And it's actually after the, the Aftermath series. And the villain of this story that is all the way through all the time periods, I don't remember what his name is. I have to look it up. but he's essentially a Star Wars Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein. He's taking organic beings and combining droid parts with them to make these cybernetic creatures like wookies, like cybernetic wookies. Are you kidding me? That is insane. And some of the and some of the uh, uh, chapters written with him, Some of the stuff he does in these things is just... My jaw hit the floor and was like, are you kidding me? This is really fucking happening right now. That was the best part of the book. Uh, Some of the things that kind of stood out about the book was the overuse of the word ass. And I don't care what form it took. Ass, asses, save our asses, kick your ass. It doesn't matter. When in Star Wars have you ever heard Han and Lando say the word ass? The only time you've ever heard the word ass in Star Wars was in Solo with... When L3 walks in, get your presumptuous ass out of my seat. That's the only time you ever hear the word ass in Star Wars. Ever. And it just, it, it was jarring. And it was seven, eight times a a page. You know, so, but, but the biggest problem with this book was the time jumps. And had the story been told chronologically, I think it would have had a bigger payoff at the end. I think it would have mattered more. But the structure was just so wonky and messed up, so... Uh, Last Shot is one you guys can go check out if you want especially if you're a big fan of the Solo film go check this book out because you might appreciate this book more than I do just letting you know Uh, next on the list is another novel that came out around that that same time period uh, called Most Wanted this is a Han and Kira novel so this is young Han Solo Kira from Solo, A Star Wars Story and this was a pretty forgettable story this is one that kind of leads up a little bit into solo not necessarily right up to it but it's essentially Han and Kira falling in love at the beginning of this book they hate each other's guts and they team up to go you know on this mission This kind of you know I don't really want to say murder mystery but they end up it's almost like a uh, like a Da Vinci Code kind of story and Tom Hanks is Han Solo, and uh, the girl from Da Vinci Code—I can't think of her name right now—is Kira. You know what I mean? And they're trying to run and solve this mystery before they get pinned with it. That's essentially what it is. Uh, and it's—it's it's not the greatest at all. Uh, some of the writing was pretty wonky, and like I said, it was a very forgettable story. To be honest, I've—I I don't remember half of it. To be honest. So, uh, and it, it was written by Ray Carson, which is weird because she, everything else she's written in canon. I think she did a short story and from a certain point of view and there was another thing i've liked her writing and other stuff but this just didn't work for some reason in my opinion so uh you can go check that one out it's it's it might be worth the read for you it might not be in my opinion not so much there's nothing really you know galaxy shattering in the book that you have to read it to know what's going on in, in in the larger universe so uh most wanted is uh third from the bottom of my list uh, the next novel moving towards my favorite is Aftermath by Chuck Wendig. This is a novel that takes place immediately at the end of Return of the Jedi. Like I said earlier, it's written uh, present tense. So instead of TIE fighters flew over, you know, TIE fighters fly over as Senso and so watches, you know, stuff like It's written in that kind of form. Aftermath was really our first look at, you know, into post-Return of the Jedi Galaxy. It came out right before The Force Awakens did, back in 2015. This book uh, follows a group of characters, which actually Snap Wexley from Force Awakens is introduced in this book as a child. Follows him and his mother, Nora. Wedge is in this book quite a bit. Uh, and, and it's it's kind of a slow book. It's all build-up for the next two. This is the first book in a trilogy of Aftermath books. And, and the, the second two books paid off completely. But this one was all build-up. Essentially, it was introduction to the characters, kind of getting to know them a little bit, a little bit of character development, building some backstory that they could build on later on in the other books. Uh, and, and, and like I said, giving a glimpse at post-Return of the Jedi. So Admiral Ray Sloan is here. There's, you know, you're, you're starting to see this power struggle in the Empire. It's an alright book. It's 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 not bad by any means, but it's it's... It's... It's not bad. That's that's honestly the best way I can describe it. It's not bad. So uh, Chuck Wendig later goes on in this trilogy to make a great trilogy. The other two books make up for this one. So if you want to sit down and read the whole trilogy, it's worth powering through this book to get to the other two. And we'll talk about the other two here in a little bit. They're obviously a lot closer to the top of the list for me. So uh, Aftermath by Chuck Wendig. Go check that one out if you're interested in that trilogy. Uh, Next on my list is uh, <laughs> this one, I've I I've, I've thought about putting this one before Aftermath on this list, but the only reason it squeaked by and got in front of it is because this is the official novelization of The Empire Strikes Back right now. And it's called So You Want to Be a Jedi. It's by Adam Gidwitz. I think is how you pronounce his name. Uh, this book is something. Let me tell you. Now, this book is written in a way I have never seen a book written and before and it's telling the story as though you the reader are luke skywalker experiencing the story so instead of saying luke dove off the tauntaun it says you dive off the tauntaun you know you get what i'm saying that is the kind of form this book takes but it's really geared towards children i mean really really over the top geared towards children i had to power through this thing it was all i could do to read this book. Some of it was just so eye rollingly bad that I don't know. It's just, but some, like I said, the only reason it squeaked by aftermath is because this is empire strikes back. Um, in between chapters, there's a little like interlude, I guess you could say uh, kind of a lesson on how to be a Jedi, close your eyes and breathe. It's breathing exercises. It's, it's yoga for children. So uh, that is next on uh, the list. There's really not a whole lot more I can say about it. And, and, because of this book, Space Cake is now canon. Yeah, that, that that's a thing. So, uh, moving on to the next one. I'm going to get through these next a few as quick as I can. Moving on to the next one is in that same vein of books. And it's called Beware the Power of the Dark Side by Tom Engelberger. This is the children's novelization of uh, Return of the Jedi. Same format as uh, So You Want to Be a Jedi. But it is told in an actual past tense uh, form. But to give you an idea on how childish this book is and to give you an idea whether you feel like you want to check it out the very first line of the very first paragraph of the very first chapter is two droids walking through the desert I know it sounds boring don't worry it gets better that's word for word what it says in this book it's telling it's physically telling you it's acknowledging you as it tells the story and like I said it's there's nothing remarkable about it it's just the novelization of Return of the Jedi that, that's literally all it is. So uh, it's, it's, it's this far down on the list because of some of its writing. Uh, the next one on the list is The Princess, the Scoundrel, and the Farm Boy by Alexander Bracken. Uh, which is funny because this is the A New Hope novelization in that same vein as the last two. And this one wasn't bad. This one wasn't bad at all. This one is split into three sections. It is The Princess, the Scoundrel, and the Farm Boy. The first part of the book is A New Hope told from Leia's point of view. The second act is all told from Han's point of view. And the third act is all told from Luke's point of view. Kind of an interesting way to tell a story. And it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad at all. Added a couple of things to canon. One of my favorite scenes to canon, actually. That I wanted to see a version of that I finally got it in this book. And it was Leia's interrogation scene on the Death Star. That is in this book. and, And her experience of going through that. And what actually happened once that door shut. It actually goes over that, you know, and then for Luke, there was a scene with him training in the flight simulator with Wedge and and whatnot before they attack the Death Star. There's just little things in each one that makes it worth reading. This is one you probably want to read to your children. This is one, uh, this is a pretty faithful telling of A New Hope. Some of the dialogue is a little weird, uh... We do find out some other things also during the Han section of the book, the scoundrel section of the book. We find out Obi-Wan did recognize R2-D2, that he does remember him from the prequels and from the Clone Wars, and that he recognizes that droid. He even talks to him and says, it's it's great to be flying with you again, my old friend. He recognizes R2. So it's really cool to kind of see that in this uh, book as well. But beyond that, there's there's really not a whole lot more to say about it. Uh, so moving on to the next book on the list, and this one is is kind of iffy because it certain parts of it deserve to be higher on the list than it is, but because of its being bound together as a whole, it had to be set this far down on the list. And it is Legends of Luke Skywalker by Ken Liu. Uh, this is a collection of short stories that are all about Luke Skywalker. Excuse me for just a second. Ooh, throat was getting dry. Talking too much, aren't I? Uh, Legends of Luke Skywalker has, I think, five or six short stories. One of them is just phenomenally great. One of them is so good that it made me look forward to reading the ones after that, thinking that it was going to get better and better, and it didn't. It actually went back to what it was before. Legends of Luke Skywalker follows Luke Skywalker through several different times in his life. One of these stories actually takes place during Return of the Jedi, during the Rancor Pit, which is by one of the worst stories in this book, by the way. One of them is after Return of the Jedi, which th- this one is my favorite one. I don't remember the title of it, but it's essentially Luke going around to these different civilizations throughout the universe and learning different aspects of the Force. He's learning this civilization's version of it and then this civilization's version of it. This particular story, the civilization uh, civilization refers to the Force as the tide. It's an ocean planet. They're trying to teach Luke how to use the Force to breathe underwater and and, and whatnot. And, And reading this story, you see where Luke figured out how to spear a fish that far up out of the water like we saw in Last Jedi. Of course, in this story, I think the spear is, I think, a kilometer long, and he spears a fish while flying on some kind of flying creature, and he spears a fish in the water a kilometer in the air. But uh, that was a really, really cool story, in my opinion. The rest of it, not so much. Like the flea, uh, like the, uh, you guys who've read it already know what I'm getting ready to say. Uh, the, The story from Return of the Jedi and the Rancor pit, it's this flea that's on Luke's shoulder, and he's talking to Luke as he's fighting the Rancor, telling him when to duck. And Luke thinks it's the Force talking to him, and it's this flea that's saving Luke's life. It, I'm not, you can't make this shit up. I'm not playing. That's that's supposedly canon at this point. It's it's one of those from a certain point of view things, right? Jesus Christ. But anyway, overall, it's it leaves a little bit to be desired. But that one story, the one with him learning how to breathe underwater and, and the spearing the fish, great great story you guys ought to pick it up just for the one so uh, that was Legends of Luke Skywalker by Ken Liu next on the list is another group of short stories called Tales from a Galaxy Far Far Away Aliens uh, it was by Landry Walker and this book it was some of the stories take place way before anything else in the canon and some of them take place way back during Force Awakens like it's it spans a large era I guess you could say Uh, this is a collection of short stories that some of them were shit (laughs) and a couple of them were really, really good. One of the shit ones I'll start, I'll get the crappy stuff out of the way first. One of the shit stories in this was, uh, Unkar plot on Jakku falling in love with a, like a, I guess a webcam girl hologram thing, I guess, but that, that, that really happened. Uh, But one of the great ones, there's a story in there called um, uh, The Crimson Corsair and the Lost Treasure of Count Dooku. Something like that. And we saw the Crimson Corsair in The Force Awakens. In Maz's castle, the red mask alien that Finn was going to hitch a ride with. That's the Crimson Corsair. And this story follows him and his crew. And and this story makes everything else worth it. Trust me when I tell you that. Uh, It makes everything else worth it. Uh, And it's... uh, them tracking down this lost treasure of Count Dooku. And when you read it and you find out what it is, your jaw is going to drop. You're going to absolutely love it. Uh, it, it, it it's coming way out of left field. You'll never see it coming. One of the stories that I thought was, I don't want to say bad, but was interesting. And it, it raised a lot of questions in my eyes for a while. And it still does to a degree. There's a story in there about Baba Joe. And for those of you that don't know, Baba Joe is the alien on Jakku right behind Rey when she turns down the 60 portions. I think it was no I don't think it was when she turned on the 60 portions. I think it was the first time she sees him car. But he's the little short alien with the big crate on his back with the snakes kind of sticking out of it. That's that's Boba Joe. And there's a story in here about how he was captured and held prisoner on the first Death Star in a New Hope. And that he had his creatures in this cage and that they he sent the creatures out to try to help him escape the Death Star, and and during the story you hear everything else going on in the background, everything that happened during A New Hope. You hear, you know, all the the prisoners in the garbage chute. You you hear everything going on, right? You hear the space battle going on outside. But it turns out in this story that he's trying to help the rebellion destroy the Death Star, and he sends his creatures out, and they do something to one of the Kyber crystals, and it it blows the Death Star up. That. That's what blew the Death Star up, and it wasn't Luke's torpedo. It was this creature messing with this kyber crystal. And this does really lend to the to the whole, from a certain point of view thing, because from Luke's point of view, he blew it up with a torpedo. From our point of view, he blew it up with a torpedo. But from his point of view, from Baba Joe's point of view, he blew it up. One of his creatures blew it up from the inside, and that was kind of a secret that he took with him, and he just secretly knew, hey, ha-ha, I'm the one that did it. It really does lend to the whole from a certain point of view thing, but it's kind of an interesting little story to read. When I was reading, it, I was just like, "Wait, what? Are you serious? This is really happening right now?" But uh, this, it's one, it's it's worth picking up. It's not bad. It's like I said, it's just uh, I think it's a Lucasfilm Press uh, release, so it's it's worth picking up. Just like I said, a couple of the stories are just shit, but the rest of them, oh, so good, so good. So uh, that is uh, Tales from a Galaxy Far, Far Away. Uh, Aliens, and it's ironic because it says Volume 1, they've never done a Volume 2, and I'm waiting for a Volume 2. We'll see what happens. Uh, Next on my list is a small novelette, I guess you could call it a novelette, uh, called Before the Awakening. Uh, This is in a vein of series, uh, in in a vein of books, in a series. Uh, This particular book was written by Greg Rucka. You can tell these books all or in a series, because they have the black, white, and red ink on the covers, right? This is one of those. This one has three stories in it. It has a Poe Dameron story, a Finn story, and a Rey story. My favorite of which was the Rey story. Absolutely great. Uh, And and all of these stories lead up to Force Awakens, where the characters were as they were getting closer to uh, the events of the film. Like for Finn, he was training against the same stormtrooper, that he fought on Takodana. In hand-to-hand combat. It kind of tells how Finn knew how to fight hand-to-hand combat. And 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 whatnot. With Rey. The Rey story was absolutely phenomenal. The Ray story was great. And it's essentially. Her. Finding this. Uh, freighter out in the Sands Jakku. That's like intact. And she works on getting it put together. And rebuilt so that she can fly away with it. Or go turn it in for portions. And she's sitting, you know, she's sitting there thinking, oh, God, I could, I could get 10,000 portions out of this, you know, something like that. And she gets this thing flying and flies it into uh, Nema Outpost. And I'm not, that's all I'm going to say. I'm going to let you guys read the rest of it. And and you guys, seriously, this is great. And what's cool about this particular race story is it tells how she was able to fly the Falcon in episode seven how she's like, we've got you. Know, when Finn's like, we need a pilot. And she's like, we've got one. She says after the whole fight, she's like, I've only ever done simulators and stuff. That's all explained in this book. So, uh, the, the Poe Dameron story was essentially him trying to find Loris and Tekka. And like I said, it just kind of puts pieces in place for the film to take place. So, uh, th- it's kind of a neat little book to read. You can read through the whole thing in like three and a half, four hours. Uh, and ironically enough, all of these, but well, most of these books in this vein are, Next in this list. Uh, so, Before the Awakening by Greg Rucca is uh, next on the list. Next after that is uh, The Weapon of a Jedi by Jason Fry. This is another one of those black and white and red covered novelettes. And this book is what Heir to the Jedi should have been. This is The Weapon of a Jedi. This is, this is what it should have been. This is a Luke Skywalker story. As a matter of fact, it takes place immediately after... Air to the Jedi. So you read Air to the Jedi, you can throw it away, and then pick this one up, and it's gonna fix everything. This is a story that it's it was really cool to kind of see how Luke was growing a little bit, uh, and and learning how to use his lightsaber and, and kind of the lengths he was willing to go through to make it happen, and how to learn to use his lightsaber and whatnot. And it introduces a character called Sarko Plank, who I assume is a bounty hunter. And this is a character we've never seen again. Uh in in any kind of canon as a character that had anything important to do they're in the uh, sarco plank is in the background on force awakens they made a lego character of them for the lego force awakens game and that's really about it and and i think they made an action figure of him other than that we've never heard the name sarco plank again never no novel no comic book no i mean nothing he's never been mentioned again but he was a really cool villain he's kind of this bounty hunter kind of trying to hunt down luke skywalker so it was it was a really, really fun story, definitely ch- especially if you're a big Luke Skywalker fan. There's not a lot of Luke Skywalker stuff in the new canon yet, and I would read every bit I could except for Heir to the Jedi. I'll say that much. Read everything Luke you can, and, and this is one of them that I definitely recommend. Uh, so that is uh, The Weapon of a Jedi. Great, great book. Uh, next on the, uh, on the list is a Leia book in that same vein of, of novelettes, and it's Moving Target. Uh, by Cecil. I'm I'm gonna butcher this name. It's by Jason Fry and Cecil Castellucci. Lucci. I don't know how to pronounce their name completely. Uh, this book takes place immediately between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, but before the Forces of Destiny episode where Leia, uh, you know, meets Maz Kanata and gets the Boush outfit and the uh, Age of Rebellion comic. Leia's Age of Rebellion. Uh, uh, Age of Rebellion comic. Takes place before that. This book successfully and completely and totally null and void Shadows of the Empire, which breaks my heart to say because that was my favorite, one of my favorite EU novels. This was the first book that they released that started to delve into the gray area between good and bad, and what the rebellion was willing to do for the greater good. You know, we saw it a little bit in Rogue One, with Cassian Andor shooting his informant in the back, and and you know he even said. I've, I've done things that I'm not proud of, which makes me so... That, that's the only reason I'm really excited for the Cassian Andor series. But this was the first time they really mentioned something like that. And, and what they're what the Rebellion's doing is they're massing their fleet for the attack on the second Death Star. They know the second Death Star. They know where it is. They're getting ready to attack it. But they're trying to use civilian vehicles to kind of mask the fleet massing near Sullust so the empire goes and attacks the civilians so they can get their fleet ready to go to go attack the death star kind of a gray area isn't it so uh very very good book though and it was uh, leia and nine num this is one of the only times you really get to see nine num kind of shine in something uh, granted he shined quite a bit and oh uh, i think it was the first battlefront novel but uh but yeah no it's leia and nine num uh, going on this mission, and that's their that's their mission is kind of distract the Empire from what's going on, so that the Rebel fleet can amass. Pretty good story. It's 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 actually pretty good. Everything from here on out is actually pretty decent. Uh, and 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 to be honest, I put these in the order of that I would read them again. You know what I mean? So, uh, but I would I would definitely read Moving Target again. Matter of fact, I think I need to. I've only ever read it the one time back in 2015 when it first came out with the Journey to the Force Awakens stuff. So probably wouldn't hurt to sit down and read that one again. Uh, next on the list is another novel in that same vein with the black, white, and red covers, and it is *Smuggler's Run* by Greg Rucca. *Smuggler's Run* is a Han Solo story, and it's it's pretty pretty interesting. It's essentially Leia sending Han on a mission when he doesn't. This is this takes place during the time when he still didn't want to be you know anything to do with the rebellion. He still saw himself as a scoundrel, uh, as a smuggler. He was still trying to kind of distance himself from the Rebel Alliance. And She's sending him on this mission to go get an informant, uh, and, and and things go awry. That's all I'm going to say. So, uh, but it introduces an uh, uh, an imperial officer, and I don't remember her name. I didn't remember her. I didn't remember her name last time I did the video like this. But she's uh, pretty interesting. She had a cybernetic eye and whatnot. And I think she got mentioned again later on in another piece of canon. And I don't remember what it was. I actually need to go back and check. So definitely check this one out, especially if you're a big Han Solo fan. This is this one was pretty fun to read, uh, and, and I don't think you'll be disappointed at all. Matter of fact, this is the novel that finally answered the question whether or not Chewie got a medal during the Battle of Yavin. We know he got the medal. He still has it in this book, and I know Chewie still had his medal in the Chewbacca ew, comic. Uh, sorry, I can't say Chewbacca comic without getting a bad taste in my mouth. We'll, we'll talk about comics later, but, uh, we know he had his medal in that also, but we, this was, this came out first. We know he got a medal from this. So definitely check out smugglers Run. This is a neat little book to read. And, uh, I think you guys might really enjoy it. Uh, next on the list is the first novelization of a film on this list so far. And it is Rogue One, a Star Wars story by Alexander Freed. This is so far. Uh, I want to say this is going. This is my least favorite novelization out of everything so far. Uh, this novelization. The only thing. This is literally the telling of Rogue One, but it does add just a couple of little things here and there. A little bit more character uh, dev- uh, development on Rhodey or not Rhodey, Bodhi. I'm sorry. I'm, I've still got Endgame on the mind. Uh, a little bit of uh, character development for Bodie Rook and kind of what the Borgullet saw in his head and stuff like that. Uh, and it builds a little bit more on Saul Guerrera, and, and whatnot. But other than that, really, there's not a whole lot extra to this at all, hardly at all. This is simply a novelization that adds maybe two or three scenes. So, uh, take that for what you will. And, I mean, everybody out there knows what a novelization is. If you've seen the film, you're not going to miss anything by not reading this book. That's essentially the best way to describe it. Uh, Next on my list is one that I was really hoping would be higher on the list and better than it turned out to be. It wasn't bad by any means, but it it, it wasn't as high on the list as I was hoping it would be. And that is Phasma by Delilah S. Dawson. Phasma is obviously the backstory, the the origin story, if you will, of Captain Phasma from Force Awakens and Last Jedi. And uh, I really wanted to know more about Phasma. I wanted to know, you know, because she wasn't utilized much at all in the films. And I wanted to know more about her. And now that I know more about her, I'm a little let down by the character, to be honest. It was still a decent book to read. But it's just, the story itself, sometimes it didn't even feel like a Star Wars book. You know, to to kind of give you guys an idea, Phasma is from a, I guess you could say, a primitive, uh, almost Viking-esque planet where she was going to be in charge of this tribe. She had bigger ideas and ended up leaving, getting picked up by the First Order. You guys can read it in the book. But there were a couple parts in this book that, the, some of the things that happened in this got this book high, you know, pretty high on this list. Uh, there are some seriously like gladiator deaths in this book. If you if you want to read some serious like gory Star Wars stuff, this book there. I mean, there's arena fights in this where people are getting beheaded. Like it's it's insane to read sometimes, right? Uh, in this book, we also get introduced to General Hux's uh, father. Uh, we kind of find out what happens to that character, you know, throughout uh, throughout his life, uh, and and kind of his relationship with Phasma, General Hux's relationship with Phasma later on, stuff like that. But you really see why she is the way she is in Force Awakens, and you see why she's simply out for herself. That that's really all. This Phasma has only ever cared about one person, her. So. Uh this is, this is actually kind of a fun read. It took me a little while to get through it because I wasn't expecting the whole uh, Viking kind of feel to Star Wars. And, and and to be honest, this doesn't feel like a Star Wars novel. It feels like Star Wars for maybe 15% of the book. The rest of it doesn't feel like Star Wars at all. So take that for what you will. Maybe you guys will like that. Maybe you won't. Just take take it with a grain of salt. If you guys feel like you something you want to check out, go check it out. Don't let me... Don't let me deter you from reading something that you guys might end up really, really liking. But personally, it's it's pretty low on the list for me. Uh, let's see here. Next on the list, where am I at? Next on the list is uh, an interesting project that Del Rey released. And it's called From a Certain Point of View. This came out for the 40th anniversary of Star Wars. And the way they celebrated it was with 40 short stories summing up A New Hope sounds cool right and it is cool i mean there's there's several stories in here that are actually a lot of fun to read the first one called remus god this is the story that bridges a new hope or uh, bridges rogue one to a new hope and it's from the point of view of remus and tillies on the tan of four and there's like an hour there they were in hyperspace for like an hour and it explains why they had to come out of hyperspace and everything like it and it leads right up to his death like in a new hope because spoiler alert Vader chokes him to death in A New Hope at the beginning. It leads right up to that moment, and it's so cool to see his relationship with Leia, to see Leia dealing with everything in between Rogue One and A New Hope and whatnot. And that's just the first story in the book. Everything else, as you go through the book, the story of A New Hope is told, but from everybody else's point of view, from background characters. And if you're going to read this book, I really, really hope you guys like the cantina scene because you're going to be in it for about half of the book. Half of this book, 20 oh, I mean, I need to count how many stories. I'm going to say somewhere between 13, 14, 15 of these stories are all in the cantina from different points of view of of, of things that happened in the cantina. And some of them you don't give two shits about. Some of these stories make no sense at all and why they're even in this. They're just characters from a new hope from the background. But once you get out of the the cantina because I just like I was like, "Oh my god, I'm so uh, I was going through these stories of the Cantina. I'm like, okay, I'm almost done with the Cantina. Thank God. I flipped the page, another Cantina story. I get through that one, flipped the page, another Cantina story. It just kept coming and coming and coming and coming and coming. I'm like, I get it. The Cantina's there. There's aliens there. I get it. Move on. Uh, and I know that put a lot of people off the book. But once you get through those stories, it, it gets back to being Star Wars again. So uh, this is, like I said, this is 40 short stories by 40 different authors. And and some of these stories are absolutely phenomenal you know, especially authors that we all already knew and love, right? It's the authors that we clamored, like Claudia Gray. Claudia Gray is heralded by some, by a lot, by most, to be the queen of Star Wars canon. Timothy Zahn will, will always be the king. But she, I, I, I say he's the king, she's the queen. And when I found out she had a story in this book, I was so looking forward to this story. Uh, it's called Master and Apprentice, which is funny. She ended up going on later on to write a novel called Master and Apprentice. And it's a story between Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. And Qui-Gon's Force Ghost comes to Obi-Wan on Tatooine while Luke is going and finding his uh, aunt and uncle barbecued. That happens in this. So it's it, and it's a great little conversation between Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. And it, it was absolutely fun to read. Uh, Pablo Hidalgo has a story in this. I, I mean, there's there's so many things in here. There's little nuggets here and there that you're going to find something that you're like, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know that. But like I said, I really hope you guys are ready for some serious Cantina action because that is just the bulk of this book. And it almost made me put it down. It almost did, but it it didn't quite kill it for me. Close, though. Uh, but definitely go check out uh, that. Even if you want to pick it, it's worth picking up just to kind of pick through some of the stories. It really is worth that. I'll, I'll say that much. Uh, next on the list is another one of the novels in the uh, black and white and red covered vein uh, from the other four I mentioned earlier. And it is called. Oh, I just lost where I was. It's called Cobalt Squadron by Elizabeth Ween. Uh, this is a story that takes place during The Force Awakens. It's a Rose Tico story. It's a Rose and Page story. And it leads right up to the events of The Last Jedi. And it was it, 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 it's not a bad story. The only reason it's this high on my list. Is because I actually, actually enjoyed parts of it. The main... The the structure of the book was alright. The main plot was alright. Some of the details in it were a little... Eh, but... For the most part, it was an enjoyable book. You... I know Rose is, is not a favorite character of anybody. Or, uh, by... I mean, hardly any of the fans, really. But this... This book really does build on her quite a bit more. You... You see... That innocence... That innocent Rose. You know? I mean, because... If you look at Last Jedi, Rose kind of went through this uh, this character journey of going from this innocent, stars-in-her-eyes kind of girl of seeing heroes of the Resistance to seeing what the galaxy was really like, being in the meat and potatoes of everything in the, in the heat of the moment and getting captured and having to deal with all this stuff up to, you know, and I, I know some people out there hate it, but trying to sacrifice her life to save somebody else, right? And and, and I'm sure in episode 9 we'll get a different version of Rose again, right? A more older, mature version of Rose. But this is that kind of idealistic, uh, starry-eyed Rose where she still has her sister with her. She's not depressed and crying in in a pipe room somewhere. Uh, But this story is essentially... uh, it, It centers around the bombers that we see in Last Jedi and explains why the bombers weren't there for The Force Awakens. You hear about the events of The Force Awakens in the book happening... Uh, Amy Lynn Haldo makes an appearance in the book uh, and and essentially tells them to get ready for the evacuation of Dakar, which is what we see in Last Jedi, the beginning of Last Jedi. So uh, I know for some of you guys, this might not be very high on your list, especially some of you guys that really hated Rose. It's it's a little higher on my list. You'd almost have to read it to understand where I'm coming from with this. So I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, So that was Cobalt Squadron. Uh, Next on the list is a novel that just came out very recently. As a matter of fact, well, I was going to say it was the last novel that came out, but it wasn't. Uh, Two novels ago, we got Queen's Shadow by E.K. Johnston. And Queen's Shadow is a Padme Amidala story. Takes place uh, about four years after episode one. Padme is being, or her term of queen is coming to an end. And a new queen is being elected. And it's, it's her passing the torch to this new queen. It's not the queen from episode two. That queen came after this queen. I know it's it's kind of confusing, but uh, and it's her passing the torch, and she's it's it, the story centers heavily, heavily around her and her handmaidens, and kind of their relationship, and her and Sabe, who was Kira Knightley's character in, in uh, Phantom Menace. It, it talks a lot about those characters and how close they were, and and you know kind of what they dealt with after the events of Phantom Menace. Uh, captain Panaka is there. And then some of these other characters that we know from episode two are introduced kind of like captain Typho, you know, which was captain Panaka's nephew, stuff like that. They're introduced. And, it, and it, like I said, this is, you know, we know from episode two that Padme tells Anakin when the queen asked me to stay on a Senator, I couldn't refuse her. That's in this story. The queen, that's, that was her first action as new queen was to ask Padme to stay on a Senator. And Padme had all these plans of stuff she wanted to go out and do in the galaxy that now she couldn't do because she couldn't say no to the queen to, to be senator. And so she sends Sabe out to do this stuff. And what she asks her to go do, you guys are going to love this. I mean, to, I'm i not going to tell you what happens, but I will say this much. Shmi Skywalker gets a name drop. And it's great. It's absolutely great. So uh, this book is actually pretty cool. Like I said, it's a character study on Padme and her handmaidens. And you learn some little, little things about Padme in this book and, and about being the queen of Naboo in this book and whatnot. Uh, you know certain things that I guess would make sense being there, but you don't think about like her dresses having escape hatches on them, so she can just duck out and run, and leave the dress kind of standing there if she had to. Stuff like that, little details you never would have guessed. But this book essentially follows Padme as a senator, and it's called Queen Shadow. Uh, she's uh, essentially she's trying to convince everybody. She's trying to prove to everybody. That she's not the queen anymore, and that she can not step out of that role and just be a senator, and and try to get people to look at her as a senator and not as a queen anymore, you know, and not not as this this monarch. So, uh, it's uh, this elected monarch. I'm sorry, and uh, it's got her first interactions with Bail Organa, uh, Mon Mothma, and 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 kind of how she got into that circle that we knew she was a part of in episode two, kind of her learning to be a senator and whatnot, and 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 and. I mean, Queen Brea from Alderaan is in this book. Padme's talking to her. It's just an amazing. It, this is this is a great book. This is this is an awesome book. Not a lot happens in the way of plot, to be honest. Essentially, what this book is is Padme going through different situations and different, uh, well, different situations of trying to learn how to handle stuff as a senator. And, and how the politics work and, and how the bureaucracy works and everything like that. It's not heavily political, but it shows how overwhelmed she was at first, trying to see how everything actually did work. And she was trying to distance herself from the Chancellor, because you know at this point it's Palpatine, and she's from Naboo, and he's from Naboo. She's trying to keep that favoritism down, right? So it, it's kind of back and forth on how she deals with things. And, and a lot of... There's a lot of handmaiden shenanigans in this book. I was, I'm gonna let you guys know that. So uh, and and one of the, uh, there's a part in this book that just made me laugh out loud. and it's the moment this really isn't a spoiler because obviously everybody knows it, that he knows about this. but the moment Baylor Organa realizes that Padme is using decoys, it, I, you can't help but laugh your ass off. It's absolutely great. So uh, that was Queen's Shadow by EK Johnson. Just came out recently. You guys should still be able to find this one on shelves. Uh, very, very close to you. Uh, next on the list is a set of four short stories. And I know a lot of people are not going to be a fan of this one. This one is so high on my list because of one of these stories and the story and this story is so good it keeps the rest of this book afloat. This book is Canto bite and it's got four different authors and I don't remember off the top of my head who the four authors were. Uh, I do know that Ray Carson is one of them. Uh, John Jackson Miller was uh, another one but I don't remember the other two. Uh, but I like the Ray Carson story quite a bit. But the John Jackson Miller story, holy shit! It's called the Ride, and this book, uh, this this story is insane to read. You guys, I'm i not even gonna tell you anything about it. You guys have to go read this one. I know a lot of people weren't a big fan of the Canto Bite stuff in Last Jedi. I and I I get where you're coming from. I understand it. And I think it's funny how people are, oh man, they should have taken all the Canto Bite stuff out. That was a big portion of the movie. It was 11 minutes. It was 11 minutes of a two hour movie. It wasn't that big of a portion of a movie. Just wait it out and just, just stick it out. You get through 11 minutes. But anyway, these stories take place over different time periods, I guess, on Canto Bite and during, you know, at the casino and whatnot. But the the story of the ride was by far my favorite story in this, and it was this guy that he was working for uh, the house. He was playing against people so that the house would win their money, right? And he ends up owing a lot of money and all this stuff. And it's it's so great. He's on the clock trying to figure out how to get credits before sunup. It's such a good story, man. It's so good. He's trying to bet on 5 ER races and he loses all of his money on that. Like it's 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 really 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 good. So. Uh, Canto Bite. like I said, that John Jackson Miller story is the reason that this book is so far all, up on my list. I loved it. That was, that was the, that's what that book should have been. If that entire book, had it been called Canto Bite by John Jackson Miller and it was that entire story, holy shit. This, this, this book would be way higher on my list. Just letting you know. So, uh, Canto Bite. Next on my list is, uh, ironically enough, another John Jackson Miller story. And this was the first novel released in the new canon. And this is A New Dawn. Uh, this is essentially the story of how Kanan, Jarrus, and Harrison Dula meet. Uh, it takes place on a planet called Gorse. This is uh, obviously before Rebels. It's about halfway between episodes three and four. Uh, and it's, uh, I'm going to say, I'm just going to say eight or nine years before A New Hope. Uh, this is, this is a story that was kind of misleading a little bit from the cover. And and I'll, I'll explain here in a minute. Uh, this was a book that I, I was so ready to read this, you know, mainly because it was the new canon kicking off. I wanted to know everything I could about these characters from rebels before that came on, everything like that. The cover has got Kanan wielding his lightsaber and he never activates it once in the story. Never once does he activate his lightsaber in this book. It's essentially him as a smuggler, as a scoundrel, right? But he comes across Harrison Doolittle, and they come across this plot uh, by... The the villain of this book, is his name is Count Vidian. And he's essentially a pseudo-Vader who's this business expert who's trying to get this mining colony back on track. Brutal tactics. Brutal, brutal tactics. Uh, this character went on to have an appearance in uh, some of the short stories in The Rise of the Empire paperback. But it's, it's, Count Vidian was a pretty cool villain. But to see Kanan and Hera meet for the first time, and Kanan still trying not to use the Force, and trying to hide that aspect of himself, was really, really cool. Uh, and it's, it's something that I feel like we're going to see repeated in Jedi Fallen Order, with just with a different Jedi. So, uh, I, this is, if you are a big Kanan fan, a big Rebels fan, you love Kanan and Hera, just go read this book. This is This isn't the top of my list by any means, but it's, it's pretty good. It's, it's, this is the, this is a decent novel. Uh, I would like to read it again. Like I said, I've only read it the one time when it first came out. This came out back in 2014. I think it was 2014. This book came out and this is one that I really do need to go back and reread again, but I, I, I did enjoy it quite a bit. Uh, next on the list is uh, the uh, no, what's the next novelization on the list? It's Solo: A Star Wars Story by Mur Lafferty. Uh, like I said, this is the novelization of Solo, and and the reason that this book is so high on my list. For those of you that don't know, I'm not a huge fan of the Solo film. I'm not I'm not a huge huge fan of Solo. Uh, there were some things I think could have been done differently. It wasn't Alden Ehrenreich's fault, in my opinion. There were a couple things I was just like, eh, well, whatever. There were a couple of things I really did enjoy, but there were a couple of things where I was like, yeah, well, I don't care. Uh, But this novelization adds some different points of view to the story and it, and it deepens the story quite a bit. And it's one of the biggest things that I, that I really enjoyed reading was, and and I wasn't a huge fan of the L three, three, seven character, but in this novel, once she's integrated with the Falcon, it cuts to her point of view sometimes uh, with her as the ship and being integrated into the ship. Right. And her trying to still retain her individuality, but being sucked into this, this core consciousness of the ship. Pretty cool. And we come to find out that after Lando takes off with the Falcon toward the end of the, of the film, you know, he had one last conversation with L three, three seven over text, right on the screen. And that was a kind of a cool aspect. But the reason this is so high on my list, there is a scene at the end, the, epil- or the, yeah, be the epilogue of the book, when it prologue is first, epilogue is last. The epilogue of this book should have been in the motherfucking film. It should have been in the movie. And I will take that to the grave. This scene right at the end was Emphis Nest turning over the fuel to Saw Guerrero and Jen Urso. That's what they were using it for. They were gonna use it for a terrorist attack that we saw in another book I'm getting ready to bring up here in a few minutes. And it that that should and, and I mean Jen Urso is just a little girl in this. That should have been at the end of the solo movie. I will take it to my that's how that movie should have ended. Not with Han and Chewie flying off into the distance. It should have been them flying off talking about Jabba going to Tatooine. He's like, hey, when have I ever steered you wrong? Take off. And then just slowly kind of fade down and and, and show this scene happening between Emphis Nest and Saw Gerrera. It would have linked your only two standalone Star Wars films so far together in the same time period and made them feel kind of cohesive. And it would have made this whole canon come together a hell of a lot more. Great scene. Absolutely amazing scene absolutely great so uh the novelization for solo star wars story is uh is uh that high on the list and you know you also get to see stuff like uh you know the reason han got sent to memban why he got in trouble why he got sent to the infantry and he was in flight school you know we find out how he got the scar on his lip you know harrison ford had a scar on his lip on an ehrenreich they put the scar on his lip you find out how he got it in this it's kind of like when River Phoenix in Indiana Jones' uh, Last Crusade, how he hits the whip and he cuts his lip, and that explains how Indiana Jones has his scar. That's how they did it with Han Solo. So it, it was kind of cool seeing that too, but it was a pretty good novelization. And it was it was actually fun to read. To be honest, after reading this book, and I'm going to say this about another novelization here before long, but after reading this book, Uh, Solo, a Star Wars story, should have been a novel. It shouldn't have been a film. That story worked better as a novel. And I don't don't think I don't think Star Wars fans would have such an issue with the story if it was just a novel and not a film. You know, Lucasfilm, you only get to make so many films at a time, and you're going to blow your proverbial wad on a story that should have been a novel. So, uh, if you guys didn't like the Solo film... Read the novelization. Trust me on that. Uh, Next on my list, uh, moving down, is a, uh, I think this was the sixth novel released in the new canon. It's by Christy Golden. uh, And it's called Dark Disciple. And Dark Disciple takes place during the Clone Wars. As a matter of fact, it was written from unaired episodes of Clone Wars. And Dark Disciple follows Asajj Ventress and the Jedi Quinlan Vos. This book came out Along the same time as Lost Stars. And this, uh, you know, Lost Stars was kind of the uh, romance story that was coming out for Star Wars. It was kind of labeled as the love story that was coming. But honestly, this is more of a love story than anything else. And it's kind of weird to say that, considering that I'm talking about Asajj Ventress and Quinlan Voss. But this book is really really great and I wasn't really looking forward to it a whole lot cuz at the time when this book came out in 2015 I wasn't a huge fan of anything prequel. At the time I still didn't appreciate the prequels. I've kind of grown to appreciate that time period now with Clone Wars and and some of the other canon material that's come out to kind of flesh it out a little bit. At the time I wasn't a big I wasn't really looking forward to this book and once I started reading it I could not put it down. I could not put this book down. I gobbled this book up so fast. So so good. Uh, you know, you get to see Dathomir again and and I mean just the the you find out what Asaj Ventress kind of went through after leaving Count Dooku, after she was kind of shunned by Dooku and went off and became her own thing. Because we know from Clone Wars she became a bounty hunter. You see a lot of that in this, and you see this mission that Quinlan Voss is going on. And you start to see that gray area I was talking about earlier that the Rebellion was willing to operate in. You see that gray area with the Jedi Order a little bit too with the mission that they sent Quinlan Vos on. Great story, guys. you got to check this one out. You're really, really going to enjoy this one, especially if you are a prequel fan and you grew up on the prequels and you love Clone Wars and you love Assage Ventress. Check out this book. Christy Golden did an amazing job with this book, uh, and, I, and I couldn't be happier with it. Uh, next on the list is another novelization, uh, and this one is The Force Awakens. Now, I say this with a little of, bit of apprehension. Force Awakens, I feel like, it needs to be lower on my list. But the only reason it's so high on my list is it's it was Episode 7. This was This is pretty much a verbatim, word-for-word, word, novelization of The Force Awakens. They didn't add anything to it. They didn't take anything away. Uh the, well the, I will say this the only thing they did add they ended up retconning with the last Jedi, uh but the reason I'm gonna put this novel so far up is first off it's it, it's Alan Dean Foster who doesn't love Alan Dean Foster he wrote Splinter of the Mind's Eye I mean he was the I guess you could say the father of the Star Wars EU you know with Splinter of the Mind's Eye absolutely I I love him so and, and you know he holds a special place in my heart as a Star Wars author. But this novelization, this is a fun book to read. Like I said, it doesn't really add anything to the story or take away, but just to kind of read through it and the and kind of the, the pacing of how he writes certain scenes, it, it, boom, 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 boom. You go right through it, and it's it's kind of fun to read, you know? And it, even, even if you hadn't seen the film yet and you read this book, you can sit here and picture all this happening with how descriptive he is and whatnot. So... Uh, if Like I said, you're not going to miss out on anything by not reading it. I will say this, though. If you pick up the paperback version of it, there's a short story in there called The Perfect Weapon. And I don't remember who wrote The Perfect Weapon, but it's a Bazine Nettle story. Bazine is the character from Force Awakens who... uh, She was in Maz's castle. She's the one that walked away and informed the First Order that BB-8 was there. That That's that's Bazine Nettle. And it's kind of an interesting story, I think, Think that story is there's no confirmation, but I think that story is her getting Darth Vader's helmet delivered to Kylo Ren. You read the story and you let me know. But if you're gonna pick this up, and if you're not interested in the Force Awakens story aspect of it, pick up the paperback so you get this these extra little short stories and 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 read those. So, uh, but the Force Awakens is is next on my list, and, and mainly it's because of Alan Dean Foster. He has everything to do with this book, book being as high on my list as it is. Uh, next on my list is a uh, kind of a smaller novelette, I guess you could call it. It was kind of a young reader. Uh, this book is called Guardians of the Wills. It's by Greg Rucka. And this book takes place right before Rogue One. And it's a Chirrut and Bays story. It, it, I, the reason I really like this book is I really, really liked Chirrut and Baze in Rogue One. They were two of my favorite characters in all of Star Wars, to be honest. But in that movie in particular, loved them. And they had a very interesting relationship. You know what I mean? A lot of people thought maybe they were gay together. Just saying that that was a thing for a while. But turns out that they're not. They're just really close brothers. They're You know, part of a brotherhood. Guardians of the Wills, right? Uh, and it kind of talks about how Chirrut is still obedient to that order. And Baze has kind of given up on it. And uh, it tells how Baze gets that big-ass gun on his back that he has during Rogue One. But it's simply a contained story that takes place on Jeddah, in Jeddah City, that centers around them. Essentially it's uh they're they're trying to get these uh, I guess you could say orphans off planet. So uh it's it's actually a really, really interesting story. This is one that even though the book is like that thick, it's it's a decent read. You guys would really enjoy this story. Like I said, especially if you're a big and Base fan. Check out this book, and it's it's easy to find. You can buzz through it in no time. Definitely check it out. Uh, it does build quite a bit on those characters to the point where when you watch Rogue One now, you're going to really, really have a new appreciation for them, especially considering what they're willing to go through to help other people. So definitely, definitely check that out. Uh, next on my list is uh, Battlefront Twilight Company by Alexander Free. This was the first Battlefront novel that was released. Uh, it has nothing to do with the video game Battlefront. Nothing at all. Can't say that about the second one. But this book has nothing at all to do with uh, the game. This is our first look at Star Wars from a soldier's point of view. This Remember, this came out before Rogue One did. This is our first look at a soldier's point of view of Star Wars, which... I really, really dig. I will say this much. The first part of this sto- this this book is really slow. It is so, so slow. But it picks up. And when it picks up, I mean it picks up. Uh, when, when you finally get to the Battle of Hoth, from the soldier's point of view in this book, it's about halfway through the book. Holy shit. This thing takes off, and it is great. This is a great, great book. This is one that I was really looking forward to. And at first I thought I was going to be let down. But then when I got to that point, that battle of Hoth soared for me, Uh, I was really looking forward to this book after being in the military myself, anything that really has to do with a military point of view. And especially in a world or in a universe of something that I love so much like star Wars, this is something that I was really looking forward to. And uh, to be honest, by the time I put the book down, I wasn't disappointed. I really, really enjoyed this book quite a bit. And I can see now why Alexander Freed is kind of taken, uh, has kind of been, I guess you could say drafted, to write anything that has to do with a military point of view from here on out. Uh, he wrote the novelization for Rogue One, which was very a very militaristic book. Sorry, I got tongue-tied. Uh, and he's doing Alphabet Squadron, whether I love the title Alphabet Squadron or not, but he's writing the Alphabet Squadron series. Uh, so I, guys, you got to check this one out. This thing, like I said, this thing picks up and it is gritty. It is, I mean, it's war. This thing is like saving Private Ryan in Star Wars. And you can say that about Rogue One, but you can really say it about this book. This is a really, really cool book. Uh, next on my list is the third Aftermath book. Uh, and this is uh, Aftermath Empire's End by Chuck Wendig. Uh, the reason this one comes before Life Debt, and I, I'll go and talk about Life Debt too, because Life Debt is next on the list. The reason I put Life Debt above Empire's End is Han and Chewie. I'll, I'll talk about these two books side by side. Life Debt is the second book in the series, uh, and it takes the characters from the first book, the uh, Nora Wexley, Snap Wexley, Wedge, puts them with Han and Chewie, dealing with the Wookiees on Kashyyyk being enslaved by the Empire. Go. Like, that, that's what it is. So, there's a little bit of explanation between Han and Chewie's relationship there as well. Uh, I think Han has a beard in this. From I think it's the same beard from Battlefront 2 uh, from him playing the smuggler skin. Uh, but he's got a beard in it. Uh, and he's, he's trying to get back to Kashyyyk to help Chewie with the slaves. And Han, like I said, Han kind of explains some of the relationship between the two, how Chewie saved him. He was in a bad place. Chewie saved him, stuff like that. Uh, but that's, that's where the life debt title comes from. But empire's end is the third book. And I'm going to put empire's end, uh, just below life debt. I, I like life debt a little bit better, but empire's end was the battle of Jakku like, uh, like life debt left off, boom, there's the start of the battle of Jakku and empire's end was literally the battle of Jakku. I was really hoping to kind of see the battle of Jakku in a different medium, not just a book. And I know we've seen it in Battlefront, but I mean like an actual, not necessarily film, but I don't know, you know, something where you can actually visualize it. But that's essentially what this book is, and it's it's that's why it's called Empires End. This is the end of the Empire. This is when this is when the Empire actually falls, officially falls. And it's absolutely phenomenal, uh, and it's gory. It's really really gory, and some of the references in Empire's End, you can hear in the Battlefront 2 campaign when you're flying the Battle of Jakku. So it's definitely interesting. And then, like I said, Life Debt is next on the list, and I'm going to place that above, simply because of the Han and Chewie aspect of it. Definitely added uh, an aspect to the story that kind of added a little bit of familiarity to it. Uh, And it, it really set the series on another level from the first book, you know what I mean? Since the first book was so low on my list. Uh, next on my list is a novel that I mentioned earlier that we were going to talk about. This is a book uh, by Beth Revis called Rebel Rising. This is a Jen or so story. Uh, this story picks up right at the beginning of Rogue One. And it's her down in the cave. Saw Gerrera comes to rescue her. That's where the book takes off from. And it leads all the way up to, I think... I think to the meeting between her and Mon Mothma in Rogue One, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's where it, it leads up to. But it shows the path Jin was on the whole time, how she got her training with Saw Gerrera. You know, when in, in Rogue One, when she's talking to Saw Gerrera about how you abandoned me, you know, you left me to die. That happens in this book. You see why she has no trust for Saw Gerrera, why she's so bitter towards him, cold towards him in Rogue One, uh, why she's so you know, introverted and whatnot. Like, th- this book explains all of it. Uh, and it's actually a great character study on Jan Erso. Some of the training Saul put her through was insane, you know? And, and when he says she was already one of his most capable soldiers when he left her, he's not wrong. And people started to realize who she was the real daughter of because at the time, you know, Galen Erso was an Imperial sympath- you know, sympathist. That's that's the story, right? So that's why he left her. He knew she could take care of herself, and he never came back for her. And it kind of explains some of the injuries he got, but not all of them, because you know, in, in Rebels, he still doesn't have all of the injuries that we saw in Rogue One. So we're kind, I'm still kind of interested to see what happened. Now, one thing about Saw Gerrera that I've said over the years was between Clone Wars, Rogue One, uh, and this book, and there was uh, there was something else I thought. Uh, that Saul Guerrero was in. I think Catalyst. Every single iteration of Saul Guerrero we've seen has been a different Saul Guerrero. None of them really add up to what the rest of them are. And it's one of those things where... I mean, hell, Saul Guerrero in three different mediums has three different eye colors, too, for those of you that don't know. Uh, Saul Guerrero is apparently blue-eyed, green-eyed, and brown-eyed, depending on how old he is. So... Uh, but this is, this Saw really reminded me a lot of the Rogue One Saw And to be honest, this one kind of bridged the gap between Clone Wars Saw and Rogue One, but more, more so the Rogue One version of them. So if you guys are a big fan of Jane Ursa, you want to know more about her, uh, definitely check out this book. Uh, especially if you're, uh, you know, big into the women of Star Wars kind of thing. This is a great Great character study on Jenner, so you guys are absolutely going to love this. And uh, to especially see, uh, like I said, some of the training that she went through and some of the sacrifices she had to make, and how she made it on her own and everything like that, you you'll have a new appreciation for this character, I promise. Uh, next on my list is uh, another book by E. K. Johnston, who wrote Queen Shadow. Uh, this is the novel Ahsoka. This is a novel I was really looking forward to. Buzzed through it in just two days. I couldn't put it down. This book takes place, it picks up, I think, a year after episode three. And it's Ahsoka dealing with, you know, the Jedi being gone, the Empire still rising. Uh, I think the first Empire day is actually when this book picks up. But it's her moving from planet to planet, trying to do lifestyle, 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 without giving away the fact that she was ever a Jedi. And it's hard for her because, you know, she, she moves to a place, she gets attached to all these people, and then has to up and just leave without saying goodbye. Just leaves in the middle of the night and goes somewhere else. And uh, this, is, this is a great story, especially, with, like I said, I keep using the term character study on some of these. This is a great Ahsoka character study. This book uh, deals, you know, it shows her dealing with thinking that Obi-Wan is dead, that Anakin is dead. She's reached out to try to feel both of them, and she can't feel either of them. You know, she can't feel any Jedi and whatnot. And, and it's actually a great book. In this book, it kind of, this is the book that, that first introduced and kind of elaborated on the whole Kyber crystal mood ring thing, depending on who you are is what color the crystal was going to be. This is the first book that kind of elaborated on that and, and not a fan of that, but everything else is great. She gets her two white lightsabers in this that we see her have in rebels. You know, she gets those sabers in here, and it's kind of funny where she gets the uh, crystals from. You definitely read it to check it out. Uh, but it's funny who she gets him from. But if you really like the character Ahsoka, even if you don't like the character Ahsoka, you're probably really going to like this book. This is this is a fun novel to read. Uh, and and if you're an audiobook fan, Ashley Eckstein, who for those of you that don't know, voices Ahsoka in Clone Wars and Rebels did the narration for the for the audiobook, so definitely check that out, man, definitely. Um, But Ahsoka is actually a really, really fun novel to read, and like I said, it's a great character study on her, especially leading up to where we know she ends up with Rebels as Fulcrum. So definitely, definitely check that one out. Uh Next on my list uh, is Catalyst, a Rogue One novel by James Luceno. This novel is an interesting one because this came out maybe two weeks before Rogue One hit theaters. And one of the things that I know a lot of people said about Rogue One that didn't make sense was no opening crawl. You know, even Solo kind of had the paragraphs kind of fade in and fade out. Rogue One was just, boom, there it is, cold open. And one of the things it really needed was a crawl. And this book, I, I refer to this book, Catalyst, a Rogue One novel, as the opening crawl to that movie. This was a... I, I even made Kirsty listen to the audiobook version of it before I took her to see Rogue One. Uh, it, it was... Me reading reading this book, I read this book before I ever saw Rogue One for the first time. So when I went into Rogue One, I already knew who Galen Ursa was, Lyra Urso, I already knew who uh, Krennic was. I already knew about Jen Urso, I knew Saul Guerrero was going to be coming into this. I already knew that backstory. You know, when you're watching Rogue One and, and Krennic is just, you know, we were this close to peace. You know what he's talking about. You know, even one of the flashback scenes in Rogue One where Jyn is having a dream about being a little girl. That scene is in this book. Absolutely great book. This is a really, really fun one to read. Do you have to read it to know what's going on in Rogue One? Obviously not. But God, does it build on what you already know. If you've, I mean, at this point, I think everybody has seen Rogue One. If you're watching this video, you've seen Rogue One. If you haven't read this book, go back and read it and then rewatch Rogue One. And see what you think. Um, it, It's just. You might have a new appreciation for some of these characters. Especially Lyra. Lyra was such an amazing character. And catalyst. And and there's a couple of little uh nuggets too. Little easter eggs that kind of got dropped in this book. And it's because of this book. That I'm convinced. That Starkiller Base was the planet Ilum. That the Jedi were getting their Kyber crystals from. In Clone Wars. I'm convinced. I'm utterly and totally convinced the Starkiller base was Ilum. Uh At one point in this book, she goes by Islam and they're literally decoring the planet. They're pulling the core out of it. They're mining the planet itself, pulling the core of it out. So this, this, I mean, it's, there's some seriously cool little connective tissue in this novel. You guys have got to go check out. It's absolutely a great novel. Uh, next on my list is another James Luceno book that kind of goes hand in hand with Tarkin or with uh, uh, Catalyst, and it's the novel Tarkin. This was the second uh, uh, canon novel that was released in the, can- in the new canon. Uh, obviously, this takes place between episodes three and four. That's pretty obvious. But what's interesting about this book is it gives a serious backstory on you guessed it, Tarkin. Tarkin, you see how cold and calculating and evil he is and cold-blooded and and A New Hope. You see why with this book, with the way he was raised, the planet he was brought up on, the lifestyle he had to deal with, the way his summers were fucking spent. Like, Jesus Christ. I mean, this guy, it's a miracle he even survived as long as he did, to be honest. Uh, At one point, pretty early in the book, you know, his parents, he's getting ready to go on this summer-long hunt that he may not come back from. And he's sitting at the dinner table with his parents, and he asks his parents, he goes, If I die, will you miss me? And they say, Yeah, we'll miss you. You wouldn't have been worthy of the Tarkin name, but we will miss you. That's cold. That's that's brutal. You know? And and, and some of the things he was willing to do in this book, I mean, if what you don't know, Tarkin's body is scarred horribly from the neck down. He's scarred. You know, so he's been through some shit. He's got an amazing, amazing origin story, background. I didn't know any of this stuff existed when I was a kid. I mean, at the time it didn't, but I really didn't care for Tarkin that much as a character until I read this book. Holy shit, it'll give you a new appreciation of the character. Um, And it kind of, this book kind of explains why he can boss Vader around the way he does in A New Hope. You know, when Vader's choking Admiral Motti, or not Motti, was it Motti? No, I don't think it was Motti. I can't think of his name. One of the admirals. And Tarkin says, enough of this, Vader release him as you wish and lets him go. You get that mutual respect now, why they have that respect for each other. And that's later elaborated upon more in the comics, but with this novel alone, holy shit, this is a good book. And this book, I I didn't want it to end. When I got to the end, I, I, I it could have went on another 500 pages, that have kept going. It was so, so good. So, uh, guys, you've got to check out Tarkin. This is, this is one of my top, top novels. Everything from here on out are like top tier novels, in my opinion. All right. This is, I mean, everything. This is, these next, I just did Tarkin. Tarkin on, I had a hard time putting in any kind of order because I want to, uh, these books are so good. I, it doesn't matter what order I reread them in. I'm going to enjoy all of them the same. So, uh, Tarkin. Great book. Definitely go check it out. Next on my list is one that I've seen some people say they didn't care for that much. But for the most part, people have enjoyed. And it is Lords of the Sith by Paul S. Kemp. This was the fourth canon novel released in the new canon. Uh, It takes place soon after episode three. uh, And it's... I want to say it's a Vader Emperor story, but it's not. This is a Cham Syndulla Ryloth story. And this, this Vader and the Emperor just there, you know, and this whole book is essentially a test for Vader. The Emperor is testing Vader this entire, entire book. It's the Emperor's fuck, fuck games. You guys already know he likes fuck, fuck games. That's what this book is. And Cham Syndulla in this book is the protagonist. Vader and the Emperor are kind of the antagonist. But essentially what happens is Cham finds out through his free Ryloth movement intel that the Emperor is going to be coming to Ryloth with Vader and they plan an assassination attempt on them. And some of the shit Vader does in this book is just stupidly gorgeous. It's just it's just pure Darth Vader uh, at one point. Uh, He's flying his TIE fighter, and there's another ship whose cockpit is kind of mirrored his. He can look up and see them. And he's force choking the pilot into the next ship as he's flying. Uh, Picture Vader ejecting from a TIE fighter, flipping through space, landing on a cruiser, using his lightsaber to cut a hole in the hull, and ducking inside. Picture that. Alright? Picture a Twi'lek on a radio, hearing people scream on the other end going, Oh my god, are you guys okay? And all of a sudden you hear... I'm coming for you. That is bone chilling. Okay, so Vader is an amazing antagonist in this story, but he's not one of the main characters. Uh, the Emperor, like I said, is testing Vader quite a bit, and some of the one of my favorite parts in this book uh, is, is a line of dialogue between the Emperor and Vader. And and I, I'm, I'm I, I've said it in other videos before, but if you guys haven't watched those videos, I'm not going to ruin it for you. Definitely read this book. This is an amazing book. The relationship between the Emperor and Vader in this is so perfectly done. It, you can hear, you can hear, I mean, the dialogue is so perfectly written. You can hear them saying it. You can hear the voices in your head back and forth. And it, it sounds like in your head you're watching a movie. It really, really does. It's so perfect. Uh, he got the relationship down between these two literally perfect. Perfect. Now, if, like, if they were to come out with, uh, so, you know, Claudia Gray has done a novel called Master and Apprentice. If they were to come out with another Master and Apprentice book, but it was Vader and the Emperor, get Paul S. Kemp to write it. Because it is that good, alright? So, uh, definitely check that one out. Speaking of Master and Apprentice, it is next on my list. This is a book by Claudia Gray, and it's ironic because this is the only Claudia Gray novel that is not in, like, the top five, Right? So, uh, this is, this is, but I still enjoyed this book a hell of a lot more than I did some of the other stuff. This is an Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon novel. This takes place before the Phantom Menace. Uh, I think Obi-Wan was 17 in this book. So this is seven years before Phantom Menace. And, uh, you, you find out kind of the backstory of Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and how their relationship, how Obi-Wan's apprenticeship kind of started off kind of rocky, um, For those of you, I'm I'm not going to give anything away about the end of the book, but, you know, at the beginning of it, uh, Qui-Gon... You can read this right on the cover, so this is not a spoiler. Qui-Gon is trying to teach Obi-Wan, and they're not having good communication skills. They're not really bonding a whole lot. Qui-Gon is more about the prophecies in ancient languages. Obi-Wan's more about following what the council says, and the council doesn't really focus on the old prophecies and everything. So these two kind of butt heads a little bit. And some of the some of the tension kind of builds a little bit more and Qui-Gon gets an invite to be on the Jedi council. Interesting, right? Because the council, he disagrees with the council so much, but if he joins the council, he loses Obi-Wan as a Padawan. So the council kind of sees it as a win win. They can give Obi-Wan to another master and Qui-Gon gets to sit on the council and it's kind of their excuse to do it. Right. And to kind of see their relationship grow throughout this book and get to the point where we see him in episode one is ama- It's an amazing thing to witness. It's absolutely great how these two come together and, and actually learn to work with one another and communicate with one another, come to understand each other. You know what I mean? So this is this is an amazing novel. Uh anything Claudia Gray, I'm drooling over. I'm sorry, but but I, I bow down to the name of Claudia Gray at this point. Uh, this is this is an amazing novel, guys. This one, this is the last novel that actually came out too. This one is on shelves right now. Go check this book out, guys. You've got to go find this one. It's absolutely great. You guys are gonna love it, and you know. And the other thing this book touches on quite a bit is this is immediately after uh, Count Dooku leaves the Jedi Order, so you find out why he left the Order in this book as well, and you find out about Dooku and one of uh, Dooku's other apprentices and Dooku's relationship with Qui Gon and the way they got along in the first you know few months of their apprenticeship. Like it's it's so so interesting to read. It's absolutely amazing. You guys got to go check out this book. Oh, and and one of the other things, some of the prophecies in this book they refer to. Uh, certain prophecies, they'll, Obi-Wan will just be like, what about this one? And he'll read off a prophecy and you're like, shit, that's talking about Leia. Or you'll read one and be like, let's well, talk about Kylo Ren. There's, there's prophecies in this book that have everything to do with the sequel trilogy. Definitely go check it out, guys. Amazing book, which by the way, I do have an official review coming uh, very, very soon on this YouTube channel. Definitely keep an eye out for that. Uh, the next book on my list moving down, which I think, let me see how many more of these we got. One, two, three, four, five, six. This is number seven on my list moving towards number one. So we're getting there, guys. I told you this is going to be a long episode. This novel is Battlefront Two Inferno Squad by Christy Golden. And this was, like I said, the second Battlefront novel has nothing to do with the first Battlefront novel. You never have to pick up the first Battlefront novel to know what's going on in this one. It's an entirely separated story. Completely, it's it's its own thing. The only reason it's called Battlefront 2 is because it came out at the same time as the video game Battlefront 2. That's the only reason. Uh, and it follows Inferno Squad, which, for those of you who have played the game Battlefront 2, you know that's the, the main group of characters you play as in the campaign. It's an Imperial spe- uh, Spec Ops team who is balls-to-bone loyal to the Emperor, to the Empire, believes in everything the Empire does. Uh, and and it centers around Eidenversio, the the leader of this group, who we know from from uh, Battlefront. And some of the things that these characters do to complete their missions almost seems like something out of an A Team TV show. And I'm, I don't mean by building stuff; I mean by some of the some of the some of the lengths they go through. To make people believe certain things about them. You know. uh, In order. Essentially what they're trying to do. Is they're trying to infiltrate. A group of partisans. uh, And you know. Rebel sympathizers. And. In order to get picked up by some of these. Because Aiden Versio. Is known. Throughout the galaxy. Her father. Admiral Versio. Is a high up in the empire. The only way that they can get her. To join in on These partisans and to get the partisans to believe her is for her to come out come out as a rebel sympathizer saying how evil the empire is and they jail her the whole galaxy knows about this the entire galaxy knows about Iden Versio being this way turning on the empire she's scum to the empire she's a symbol of hope to those who are part of the rebellion and who don't like the empire but she gets captured by these partisans and and drawn in and they recruit her That's the way she gets into it. And the whole galaxy thinks she's a turncoat. I mean, that's... Some of the things that happen in this book will make your jaw drop. And there's an extra character in this book who's a member of Inferno Squad. The fourth member. Explains why they're not in the game. So, definitely, definitely go check out this book. I highly recommend this book. This book is so much fun to read. And you're going to cry. You're gonna you're gonna get to the point where this is. Remember, I was talking earlier about the gray area with the Empire, and and, and well, not the Empire, the the Rebel Alliance, and how they, you know, I I don't think I mentioned this, how they've humanized the Empire. This book really focuses on the humanization of the Empire, and you're gonna be sympathetic to some of these characters and some of the things they go through and some of the things they have to do and some of the choices they have to make. This is an amazing book to read, guys. I read this one in and I think nine hours. I read it nine hours flat. Definitely check this one out, guys. Uh, it takes place... It, picking up at the end of A New Hope and kind of going forward from there. If that gives you any any idea. So, and you know where the Battlefront 2 campaign picks up right before Return of the Jedi. So it kind of goes up to that point. Just so you guys know. Uh, but definitely, definitely a great novel. Definitely go check that one out. Definitely, definitely. Uh, next on my list, number... What would this be? Six? Yeah, I think number six. Is Thrawn Alliances by Timothy Zahn. This is the second Thrawn novel that has been released. The only reason this one is below uh, the other Thrawn novel, this one does that time jump thing I was telling you about uh, with with Last Shot, but it takes place. It's it's it follows Thrawn and Vader for the present day, but then it keeps cutting back to the Clone Wars to Thrawn and Anakin the first time they met, and as you cut back and forth between these these two time periods, you can see the missions they went on mirror each other very very closely. Uh, they're still they're going to the same city. I mean, it's 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 some of the same. And and throughout this book, you find out that Thrawn has his suspicions about who Vader is, and to see this these the difference in relationship between Thrawn and Anakin, and Thrawn and Vader. Because think about it, Thrawn back then with Anakin was a different Thrawn, kind of a different Thrawn than what we got with uh, Thrawn and Vader. Right, the, this present day Thrawn with rebels. There was some growing that took place in between there. So to see that different Thrawn with this Anakin, and then to see this new Thrawn with a new version of Anakin, Vader, is so cool to see the dynamic between these two. And especially some of the conversations Thrawn and Vader have back and forth, and what they reveal to each other that they know and what they don't know, and some of the threats back and forth are absolutely awesome to read, guys. Uh, But like I said, the only bad thing I have to say about this book is the time jump thing. It's not as confusing as last shot. Because once you start reading it, usually they start a chapter that's time-jumped with either Anakin or Vader, so you know right off the bat where this new chapter takes place. This is a fun book to read. If you go back to the Anakin-Thrawn stuff, there's a lot of Padme stuff in this novel also, you know. There's not been a whole lot of Padme in the new canon. So to see her kind of front and center also is really, really cool to see. Um, and and this, this novel takes place... Uh, I'm going to let you guys uh, know this. The, the, this novel takes place... I was kind of curious, because we know Thrawn was introduced in Rebels... But it takes place between Seasons, uh, I want to say, 3 and 4. I think it's Seasons 3 and 4 of Rebels. matter of fact, it is Seasons 3 and 4 of Rebels. Uh, at the beginning of this book, Vader mentioned some of the failings that Thrawn had in Season 3 of Rebels and whatnot. So uh, that's, that's where that kind of falls on the timeline. So definitely check this one out. Uh, especially if you're a big EU fan and you love Thrawn, definitely check out this book. You guys are going to love it. Uh, next on the list is, uh, this is going to be one that's kind of controversial. You guys might actually lynch me a little bit for this one, but hear me out, hear my explanation. Uh, this one is the novelization for the last Jedi by Jason Fry. Now the reason this book is so high on my list, the book says on the cover expanded edition, and it is definitely the expanded edition. Uh, there are scenes added to last Jedi in this book that should have been in the movie. And I will take that to my grave. Also, just like I did with the solo novelization, there are things in this book that should have happened in the in the film that never happened. Luke's third lesson to Ray. I mean, some some of the conversations that that were had. This book built on Last Jedi in a way that is just insane. This the after I went and saw Last Jedi, and then I read the novelization. And after reading the novelization, that story should have been a novel. The the story of the Last Jedi should have been a novel, and then we should have gotten a different Episode Eight. I, I I'm gonna say that because I don't get me wrong. I do enjoy Episode Eight. I'm one of those guys that d- didn't mind Last Jedi. I see why people didn't like it. Believe me, I get where you're coming from. I'm just getting a little tired of hearing about it. But it's 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 one of the. It, I get where you're coming from. But this novelization, if you hated the Last Jedi, do me a favor and read the book. Sit down and read the novelization. You will have a better understanding, and I don't want to say understanding, a better appreciation for this story and kind of what Luke went through and, and, and whatnot, stuff like that, why Luke was the way he was, some of his internal monologue in his head, some of the thoughts that he was having. It makes sense after reading this book. You guys need to read this. I'm serious. If you guys hate Last Jedi, please do me the favor of reading this book. This story should have been a novel. That's that's all I'm going to say about it. There are a lot of things in this book that didn't make it into the movie that it pisses me off, to be completely and totally honest. So uh, take that for what you will. The Last Jedi is number five on my list. Uh, Let's see here. Number six, no, number four. We're going this way, aren't we? Number four on my list is the first Thrawn novel by Timothy Zahn. Uh, This is a really, really fun book to read. Uh, and the reason I say that is, you know, Thrawn was a big deal with the EU, and 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 he was kind of the the cornerstone of the old EU, right? As the new villain, and when they brought him into the new canon, a lot of people were worried that he wasn't going to be, you know, be the same as he was. Man, this novel just it hits the same Thrawn. They took Thrawn from the EU and dropped him right into rebels. With, I mean this this novel takes place right before rebels this this book actually leads up to his appearance in rebels it shows how he was found how he was brought into the Empire everything like that his relationship with the emperor uh, and it focuses heavily on his tactician and, and and his his tactical abilities and his his intelligence and his wisdom and all this other stuff and his attention to detail and you know he does certain things where you're just like why in the fuck would he do something like that and then you get to the end of it, like, oh that makes total sense and you realize how did I miss that you know and, and it gets to a point toward the end of the book where he starts doing things and even the people on the ship around him don't trust him because it's so like extremist guys this is a really good book especially if you love Thrawn if you want something that feels like EU in this new canon check out Thrawn check out Thrawn Alliances it's the same Thrawn in both of them but this is this is the same Thrawn from the *Heir to the Empire* series. This is him, and and some of his conclusions that he comes to when he's explaining it to Eli Vanko, which is his uh, kind of protege, his kind of interpreter, because he still he still has some of the uh, the Chiss language. And uh, he's he, he's the way he's explaining the way he's tra- uh, training Eva, you know Vanto, Eli Vonto, to think the same way he does. And he, he even encourages members of his crew to come to conclusions. Before he tells them the conclusions, even people just ensigns, you know what do you think of this? And they'll say, well, well, so and so, exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. Let's do it, and that's what they do. And it's awesome to read in the book. Timothy Zahn is still the king of canon. He's the king of Star Wars books. Up until he wrote this book, I was considering Claudia Gray as the new as the Timothy Zahn of the new canon. And now that he's in the canon, I can't say that. So she's the queen. He's the king. If that makes any sense at all. So, uh, yeah, take that for what you will. Uh, it's absolutely an amazing, amazing novel. Uh, number three on my list, as we move closer to the end of this thing, is uh, Leia, Princess of Alderaan by Claudia Gray. This is a Lucasfilm Press novel. This takes place uh, about two years before a New Hope. Leia's 16 years old. Uh, this is, the, like I said, a young Leia story. And uh, it's kind of her dealing with kind of stepping into the limelight as the next heir to the queen of Alderaan after Brea steps down, you know, and and kind of Leia's rite of passage and her adulthood trials, if you would. And her growing up quite a bit, you know, she grows a lot during these the, during this story and it introduces uh, Amy Lynn Haldo. We know Admiral Haldo from uh, Last Jedi, even though for some reason I can't figure out why Haldo was normal in Last Jedi, but like Luna Lovegood in this book. You read the book, man. She's Luna Lovegood to a T, right? Uh, so, but this this is an interesting book, and there's a couple, There's a nifty little Easter egg in this book too that I that I really enjoyed. I think Han and Chewie made a cameo in this book, but I'm not positive. I think I'm pretty sure it was Han and Chewie made, an, well, at least the Millennium Falcon made an appearance in this book. You guys know what I'm talking about if you read it. But uh, this book happens mainly on Alderon, and this is Leia finding out about. Bale being a part of the, the rebellion and her wanting to be a part of it, but he's thinking she's too young and all this other stuff. Uh, the planet crate from the last Jedi is introduced in this book. Uh, but young Leia is really really interesting to read. Uh, this is you know her relationship with some of the guards and whatnot and and how kind she was to everybody and and you know kind of her back history a little bit now of what she knows you know she, at this point she doesn't know the whole story obviously. Uh, but it's, it's, it's there, you know? So, uh, Ooh, I had a truck drive by. I don't know if you guys heard that or not. Uh, that's what I get for picking an office on this end of the house close to the highway. Uh, but anyway, this is, this is an interesting book and I will tell you guys right now, the last line of this book will, it's, it's a gut punch. The last line of this book is a gut punch because of where we know the story ends up going. This, this book at the end, Claudia Gray is just like, Oh, you guys like my story? There you go. That's that's essentially what she does. So uh, this is so high on my list. I, uh, this is an amazing, amazing novel. You guys have got to check it out. Uh, next on my list is also a Claudia Gray novel. I think those of you who have watched for long enough know what these next two are. Um, and this next novel, number two on my list, is Bloodline by Claudia Gray. This takes place about five or six years before The Force Awakens. Uh, it's Leia. She's still a senator. And this is this is kind of a political thriller. This is uh essentially her realizing that a republic may never work with senators cuz all it is is squabbling and and disagreements and fights and arguments and politics, that's all it ever is. And this novel kind of shows her disenfranchisement with that and and kind of uh her dealing with her past a little bit more, but it, I shouldn't say a little bit more. There's a point in this book, there's some seriously galaxy-shattering shit in this book. This is There's something in this book that should have been on a big screen somewhere. It needed to be on a big screen somewhere for everybody to experience. Because this... this I'm trying to decide whether or not I want to tell you guys, because it's a huge plot twist in this book. It's not a plot twist. We knew. But it's this... Plot twist for the galaxy. And I honestly never even saw it coming. I'm not going to tell you guys what it is. Uh, You guys just got to read this book. Believe me when I tell you. this is What happens in this book changes the face of the galaxy. And changes Leia in a lot of people's eyes. This changes Leia in a lot of people's eyes. So uh, definitely check out Bloodline. Like I said, it's a political thriller. This is such an amazing book. And it's Star Wars politics done right. It's not... You know, it's not prequel politics where you just get tired of hearing about it over and over and over and over and over again and trade routes and dispute and all this other crap. No, this is Star Wars politics done correctly. That's all this is. So uh, definitely check out Bloodline. All right, so the number one book on my list, the the best Star Wars canon novel that has come out to date, is another book by Claudia Gray. Uh, called Lost Stars. This is a Lucasfilm press novel. For those of you who have read it, I guarantee this is high on your list. Uh, Lost Stars is a novel that spans the entire classic trilogy from the point of view of two other people that you never see in the film, but had pivotal roles in the background. And you, you kind of see the humanization of the Empire again, like what I mentioned earlier, and, and why some people become disenfranchised with it. And join the rebellion. This is a love story. Don't get me wrong, but it's not like an ooey gooey mushy love story. This this is kind of a Romeo and Juliet story, but one of them is on the well. They both start in the Empire, but one of them leaves the Empire and joins the Rebel Alliance. The other one stays in the Empire, and they try to keep their relationship going the entire time through the entire Galactic Civil War. And somehow it works. But these characters, I'm not going to say which one is which. Uh, Which one joins which side. But it's... Some of the things that these characters do are pivotal. Pivotal to the story. You know, like uh, one of them is present in the room with the gunners in A New Hope when the escape pod jettisons with 3PO and R2 on it. And they're like, there goes another one. Hold your fire. There's no life forms. They must short circuit it. One of them was sitting right next to them. Just out of of the shot. Um, One of them was a pilot on Hoth. uh, Crowded around Leia. You know, uh, and one of them had to do. One of them was trying to guide the TIE fighters through the asteroid field in *Empire Strikes Back*, chasing the Millennium Falcon and getting taken out one by one. Uh, one of them was uh, the the Imperial soldier that deactivated the hyperdrive on the Millennium Falcon during *The Empire Strikes Back*. Like it's, these characters were so pivotal to so many things that happened, but you never even heard about them or saw them. Great story, and and, and it's just. Little, you know, characters make cameos in it. Like Leia makes cameo, Tarkin makes a, a cameo, Vader's in it a couple times, uh, you know. But th- this it's some of the things in this in the, in this book are just God. I've read it twice, and I absolutely um I loved it both times. It's so good. I recommend this is the most recommended Star Wars novel in my opinion. If you have never read a Star Wars book in your life and you don't know where to start, pick up Lost Stars because not only does it introduce you slowly to new characters along events, along the classic trilogy that you already know and love. But it builds on everything and it kind of gives you an idea of how everything can still kind of come together and how this canon can be cohesive. You know what I mean? I'm still waiting on a sequel to Lost Stars. They kind of left it open-ended for another one. If they come out tomorrow and say Claudia Gray's writing Lost Stars 2, oh, I'm on it. I'm I'm already drooling for for uh, a Lost Stars 2. So uh, there you have it. That is my ranking of worst to first on the uh, Star Wars canon novels. Uh, and, guys, that was a long list that. Like we're already going on two hours. So uh, I had a couple of mailbag questions I, th- I was going to answer this week, but I think I'm going to save them for next week. Uh, if you guys want to get a question on the Star Wars canon podcast, you can email it to me at starwarscanonlibrary at gmail.com. Or if you're listening to this podcast on the Anchor app, you can send me a voice message on there now. Uh, and, and you can possibly hear your voice on the Star Wars Canon podcast asking a question. Uh, so thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I sure appreciate it. If you're new to the podcast and you like what you hear, be sure to give me a follow on whatever app or site you're listening in on. Uh, if you're not listening on YouTube, make sure to check out the YouTube channel for upcoming reviews, uh, interviews, reaction videos, uh, and a video version of this podcast. If you want to sit here and look at my ugly mug for uh, two hours. Uh, As well as the Facebook page to stay up to date on what's going on with the Star Wars Canon Podcast. Uh, Stay tuned because in the next couple of weeks, I've got a huge announcement uh, coming. And you guys are going to love this. I've been hard at work on a project for you guys. Uh, The patrons already know about it. Already kind of let them in on the secret. So if you guys want to know what I'm talking about, head on over to the Patreon account uh, show some support there and you guys will be able to see the post talking about what I've got coming down the line. So uh, definitely, definitely check that out also. Uh, and like I said, if you want to get a question on the podcast, you can send it to a uh, star Wars cannon library, at gmail.com, or you can send a voice message through the anchor app. Uh, uh, but anyway, that should do it for this week. All of the, uh, all of the links for the podcast will be found on different apps. which can be found on the description of this video. So, guys, until next week, thank you so much for tuning in. This is Brian signing off, and may the Force be with you.